Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hello. Uh, Derek, it's end of... End of? Camping season for me, I think. Yeah? Yeah, I think I've done my last uh, last camp there at, uh, over Halloween. We went to uh, I went to Mew Lake, met up with a bunch of people. Um, a lot of people from the 150 for 150 event were there. A lot of people I've, I talked to online and stuff like that. Paddle Inn was there. Wild Canoes was there. The Camping Family. Uh, Two for Adventure were there. Uh, a few other people that I, actually I, I just met for the, the, the first time were there. I saw a lot of postings from it. Oh, there definitely was a lot of postings. Yeah. Uh, good times seemed to be had by all, uh, despite the weather. So the weather wasn't that great? No, it... It's uh, kind of be expected, well, You I know guess. what? We were, I went up for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I went by myself, you know, the family's working and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go up anyway. Um, and I actually, <laughs> I got one of the last sites. I'd, I'd booked the last site. One of the last ones. What camp was Mew Lake? Mew Lake in Algonquin Park. Yeah, right on the Highway 60. I figured, you know what, there's, there's, it's the radio free, dog free, no electricity zone. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> the no fun zone. It's a no fun zone. Um, <laughs> But it's funny because uh, um, uh, Two for Adventure, Johnny Stinson and his, his family were there, and Paddlin and his family were there uh, at the site right next to mine. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, they, they got uh, 130, I got 131. So it worked out well that way. Uh, I, set up, I set up my tent, set up my tarp, and I, I've got this old Kelty Noah 16 or Noah 16 tarp. Thing's massive. Uh, I bought it for backcountry trips just, you know, when I knew it was going to be really nasty weather. The problem is this thing is so big. Uh, I took it on one trip and we went to put it up and the two, my buddy that was with me at the time, we were trying to hold on to it. The wind came up and it just dragged the two of us across the campsite. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so it's only actually been used once when we went car camping. Uh, we were at Pog Lake in Algonquin doing the family camp thing, and I set this thing up because it was supposed to be bad weather, and it is massive. It's like 16 feet one way and at least like 25 feet or something wow. the other way. It is huge. Is um, it an ultralight, or is it just a cheap, heavy canvas? No, no, like no. A, it's, it's, a it's, heavy, a, it's a lighter it's like weight. A, it's, a, it's a lightweight tarp. Tarp, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just massive. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I figured, you know what, I'm going to bring that too, because the weather was supposed to be garbage, and it did turn out as garbage. Um, but the way I had actually put it, because, I mean, you go to the, the, the parks and you buy their wood for a fire, and it's always damp. and Okay. You know, so... You know, even in the best of weather, I find campground wood it tends to be a little bit yeah, damp. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it doesn't let you... You can't get a big fire going half the time, and anyway... That's another subject altogether. Uh, so, so I put this tarp up and I, you know, had the way I had it set situated, the heat stayed right underneath it and it almost acted like a little hot tent when I got the fire going. Nice. Because I, I managed to put it over the fire and I had a blue tarp coming down. Yeah. So the smoke rose up between the cracks, between yeah. the Kelty tarp and the blue tarp. And, uh, but all the heat stayed in. Huh. So I was under there in a t-shirt. <laughs> it was like, it was beautiful. Yeah, I couldn't have asked for anything better, you know? Awesome. And then you step outside and all of a sudden the cool hits you yeah. and the damp. Yeah. And you're just like, ooh, yeah, I better bring my jacket to do that, right? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I found out uh, my little two-man tent that I haven't used in years. It needs to be waterproofed. Oh, no. Yeah, the, the corners. Uh, the fly seems to be waterproof, but it, the, it leaks down, the goes down the fly and then hits the side. Okay. And then that's where it, it was leaking in the corners. Like um, leaking or just seeping through if anything touched it? Uh, no, it was leaking. Oh. Yeah. So it's time. <laughs> it needs to be waterproof. Yeah. Pretty good. You know, it's old. It's like 20 something years old. But I figured, you know, it's, it, I, I was calling it the, the festival tent because my son takes it on festivals. Oh, okay. Right? To, to music festivals. <laughs> yeah. Um, good thing it's not rained on any of those festivals yet. But. <laughs> so I set that up, put a blue tarp over that after I found it was leaking. But uh, you know what? Went out and chatted with people, met a lot of people, stood around the fire and, you know, just gabbed over a couple of drinks. Well, it was a big Halloween event, right? It was a big Halloween event. There was, uh, yeah, we're sitting under the tarp and you get this little thing they say put on your your, uh, post in front of your campsite and it denotes that you've got candy for the kids. Oh. And all the kids are coming around trick-or-treating. 
Neat. Yeah, it was it was pretty good. So and there was there was uh, pumpkin carving contests and um, there was uh, costume contests and all that sort of stuff. So it was definitely a family thing, and it was a lot of you know they all had fun. And the the um, visitor center in Algonquin. Yeah. They had some family stuff going on. They had all the the tours and stuff for the kids and skeleton tours and stuff like that. So you could see, I guess, different skeletons of different animals and stuff like that. But creepy creepy well it's time of season right it was halloween <laughs> after all yeah but then yeah i mean then uh, you know all the kids go to bed and the adults sit up and uh, chit chat around the fire again and whatnot and um yeah and then yeah so friday saturday and then sunday everybody just sort of i guess they'd had enough of all the dampness and whatnot and some people left her just slowly packed up and yeah, wandered off wandered off yeah <laughs> and but you know what it was good it was good like i say i could have done without the full day of rain on saturday because you know, you want it. That's the day, the big day, and you want to do everything. And it was kind of yeah. It's crappy. your it's your one full day of being there. Yeah, and and uh, but you know what? I'd go again. Um, now that I've I've never been, everybody said you got to go. And uh, yeah, you just show up and find out where everybody's gonna be, and you know, after dinner, you make your own little dinner sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, so it was a big family event. There's a lot of kids, a lot of families yeah. and stuff there. Oh yeah, yeah. There was a lot of kids boogieing around. Um, and the amount of campsites that were all done up, decorated and all that, yeah. that was pretty cool. I mean, they ate lights and, and, uh, decorations across from us, uh, was this ghost hanging from a tree and it was motion sensitive to be doing at four o'clock in the morning. Oh no. <laughs> Paddle in, Matt and I were, were just ready we were gonna fight to see who could get up at four o'clock in the morning and just destroy kill this it. thing kill we it. were just oh yeah annoyed but you know <laughs> it was i guess because the wind was moving it around so i guess when it f- went to face a tree and then past the tree when it oh, spun past the tree it's it took that as motion yeah right and then, <laughs> like, oh my god or maybe it was actually possessed maybe <laughs> Maybe, but I mean, the people were in a big trailer. I don't know if they had the furnace going and everything and didn't hear it. Yeah. But yeah, we were ready just to go and shove it up his <laughs> wazoo. His <coughs> tailpipe. Yeah, shove it up his tailpipe. So, but no, other than that, you know, yeah, and then had a nice, easy, easy drive home. Well, that's and awesome. Unpacked all my stuff and it's all wet and in the garage drying, drying. off and probably be there till spring. So, is this, so <laughs> what you're going to do, probably some winter trips. Oh, the winter trip. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's fall. So yeah, we're looking at winter camping, but, uh, I was even thinking just doing some day trips, you know, but the water's getting colder now. Hard. Hard. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's getting, the water's getting harder now, turning white and getting covered in snow <laughs> and stuff like that. Do really they call that ice? Yes. Something like that. Yes. I, I, as I understand it. Yes. Uh, the water's starting to turn over now. Yes. Um, so, uh, you know what? Maybe we should talk about Lake Turnover. <laughs> nice segue. You like that? <laughs> Told you. <ya. laughs> so, this week we're talking about the water turnover in your local lakes. Some people call it inversions, and I, I some other people say inversion is the wrong term for it, but, but it's uh, in shallow lakes. The shallow lakes tend to stay a very uniform temperature, whereas deeper lakes they stratify, and and you have the the lower colder levels in the in the summer and and the, the warmer at the, the top. Warmer at the top, so you know it's 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 it stratifies because the the density changes in water with temperature. Yeah, you you get the three layers. Uh, the middle layer is a thermocline. The top layer is the epi, epilimnion. Okay, you're you're gonna get um, a Edumacation today. As <laughs> <laughs> welcome to Paddling Adventures, the radio. Yeah. You're getting an edumacation today. The big words. Yes. So mm. thermocline's the middle, and it is sandwiched between the... Epilimnion and the hypolimnion. That's... See, the epi- epilimnion is the upper layer. It's the surface layer of water, and the hypolimnion is the uh, the lower bottom layer of a lake. And the, and like I said, this is only on deeper lakes. It, it doesn't occur really in shallow lakes. Right. Yeah. Um, so this is the way your, your lake usually is. And in the yeah. summer, you know, the top layer is warm. Um, they say usually about 64 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 18 Celsius. And the bottom layer is colder, about 
8 degrees Celsius, 48 degrees Fahrenheit. And the thermocline is the thin layer between, uh, and that temperature of that rises and, and lowers rapidly. But it stays so it's all stable. over. And yeah. and we're not just trying to be highbrow and big brained here. Like this is this is actually relevant to uh, to boaters and especially fishermen. Hey, people who like this. Uh, it changes the way fish react and it changes your fishing seasons. And like it, like what uh, bass is still in. There's certain fish that are still in this type of year, but they 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 react and they feed differently. They go to different locations and depending on the water temperatures, right? Yeah. Well, let's go through this uh, on on the uh, the water turnover first. Sure. Um, so in the fall, which it is now, the surface layer of the water gets colder, right? It's cooling down because of the cooler air temperatures. Yeah. And normally in the summer, it's warmer. So it starts right. warm. You get the lower bottom. The hypomillion layer is, uh, limnionis layer is, is the cold layer. It sits, it's, it's denser. It's, it's, it drops down to about at four degrees. It's the most dentist. So it densest. So it sits at the bottom. But in so, the fall, when the surface layer becomes colder. Yes. It becomes more dense and starts sinking through the lower la- layers of the water. Yeah. And the wind wind action helps. Wind, wind and wave action. Helps to circulate this water. So the bottom water comes to the surface and the surface water goes to the bottom. And that's your turnover. So, yeah. So everything that was at the top. Now, the benefit of this sort of thing is that all the wave action and everything moving through... As stuff during the summer and at the bottom starts to decay, oxygen disappears and because of all the bacteria and yep. stuff. So with the wind, the waves all circulating everything, then the oxygen has a chance to recirculate down through down to all levels. Exactly. Right? So this is really good. And that's one of the things, if you want to get into fishing, it says is because you wonder why the fish have left. Well, they actually haven't. Or, or sorry, why have the fish have stopped feeding? They yeah. actually haven't. They've just gone to different areas now because yes. they can, because there's no spot that they can't go now. Exactly. Right? Because it, in, you're normally, it, it, when, it, when this happens in the fall, a lot of the uh, all of the sediment and a lot of the uh, the, the living water it drops down, it, it, it bacteria grows, and it, it consumes the oxygen, so the fish can't stay deep. Right. Or they'll die. So, and they normally wouldn't want to come to the surface when, with the water surface being warm because they like the colder water. Exactly. So this turnover and this mixing of the layers, it allows the fish to move area. And so a better fishermen know to go to new locations. That, that old fishing hole doesn't matter now because the seasons has changed, the lake has turned over, and now there's different areas where they can go and, and find the fish. Yeah. So if you're still out there in your canoe or kayak and you're doing your fishing at this time of year then you're going to have to try other areas. Yes. Which is why a lot of the guys with the fish finders and that cover a lot of area if they can, because the regular places aren't going to happen anymore. And people without the fish finders are going, hey, they're not biting. What's going on? They're not biting, yeah. (laughs) And we wasted a whole day paddling. Well, (laughs) Um, so the question being here is if now all the cold water is down at the bottom of the lake and the warm water is now at the top, why does ice not form at the bottom. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And anybody who knows the physics of water can already tell knows you. that answer. They yeah. can tell you. Well, we're not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so water has a unique property. It reaches maximum density at 4 degrees Celsius or 39 degrees Fahrenheit. Ice is less dense than the liquid water and therefore it floats. Exactly. Right? So... And this is what, I'm not even going to get into this part, but it all has to do with molecules arranging themselves in the ice crystals. Yada, yada, yada. Yibbity, yabbity, yibbity, yab, crystalline structures. Basically, ah, the end result is water is densest at four degrees, 39 degrees Fahrenheit. Yep. If it warms up, it gets lighter and floats. If it gets colder, it's it gets lighter and it floats. So the, so the, the stablest layers, the stablest water is four degrees, but mm-hmm. it, it is at its most densest. And so in, in that, in, like in the middle of summer, you're going to find the coldest water at the bottom. In the middle of winter, you're going to find the coldest water at the surface. Yeah. And that four degrees water is going to sit somewhere in the middle somewhere. You know, it's, it's, it's just the way it stratifies out. It, the, the densest water was going to naturally fall to the bottom of the lake. Yeah, and the cooler, the cool, with cool water at the top. Yeah. And the ice, right? 
And anybody who does any paddling this time of year, they know it's like, you know, if you, if you do any white water or if you uh, are paddling and your hands are touching the water and you, you're going to notice the lake flip over. Like I, 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 we live most of our lives on Lake Ontario and it's a deep lake. And, uh, where I work at a power plant, it's, uh, we can see the temperature change. Like we can see this, the, uh, the water inversion or the, the water turnover in the fall and the spring, like it'll change from like 10 or 11 degrees, suddenly spike up to about 20, 22 degrees in the spring. Right. And then it's, it's like, it's really weird. And, and this time of year you see the, uh, the water flip down and it, it's, it's a big difference. It's like a 10 degree difference. And, to in the in the water temperatures that we're taking into the power plant it's really interesting mm-hmm. um so yeah so and then in the winter because it doesn't really freeze right the big lakes no they, right? they so especially you... like ontario because it's so deep it takes so much uh, somebody told me once or i read somewhere is that you need at least a month of minus 30 degree weather for lake ontario to freeze over yeah. so 30 full days of minus 30 and we and don't get that. We haven't seen that. I believe the last time Lake Ontario froze over was uh, was 1916. Really? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, so, I mean, here, I mean, that's 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 a big lake. But we're with the regular lakes that we usually paddle, the smaller lakes and stuff. So, the, yeah, the most in winter, the most dense water is at the bottom of the lake, and the cooler water is on top with the ice at the surface. Exactly. Now comes spring. You're thinking, well. It's still cold at the top. How's it going to move it around, right? So the surface layer of warm water, or sorry, the surface w- layer of water warms because of the warmer temperatures. Yeah, the sun. This it up, causes the ice to melt. Yes. The ice water is cold, so it starts to sink. Yes. And the stuff at the bottom gets pushed up and pushed around. Upwards, exactly. So the, the ice water, when it thaws, it start when it, the temperature rises to about four degrees C, it hits its high, most dense. Mm-hmm. And then it just starts to plummet. And you get the, you get those sifting layers of, uh, it filters down to the bottom of the lake and it pushes up, right? Yeah. So the cold melt water heads on down to the bottom exactly. and everything circulates again. And then there's that fish moving around again and it's an interesting aspect. It's an interesting perspective. And you, you know, it's like it's in the spring when you see the, feel the water starting to warm up and you're going up for your first few paddles and, and then you hit a, <laughs> the lake turns over and all of a sudden it's like, oh, the water just got super cold again. Yeah. I mean, if you went out every two weeks and took temperatures at the surface, you're going to notice like in this, when the first ice first starts melting yep. at the temperature, mm-hmm. two weeks later, it's going to be warmer. Three weeks later four weeks later, it's going to be warmer, warmer as it goes along. And if you were to hold a thermometer down at the bottom of the lake, it would be warm. And then two weeks later, it would be colder, then colder, then colder. Yes. Because everything's turning around, right? Yeah. Um, so when it comes to fishing, like I say, the as this is all turning over the wind of the waves, well oxygenated surface water now can combine with the lower water, which has lost most of its oxygen because of the decomposition process over the summer. And now it's just like everywhere. And the oxygen is restored to the deeper sections of the lake. And fish can feed at all layers. Right. And the same thing happens again in the spring. And since the temperature is consistent throughout the water column, top to bottom, like the entire lake. Yes. There are no sections of the lake where the fish can't go. Everything is hospitable yeah, to them. Yeah, so they're feeding everywhere. Yeah. And that's where you really, that's, that, that where you, when you're out boating or when you're out fishing, that's, that causes the big challenge. It's like, well, where Trying to are find they? out where they are. Where are the fish? Yeah. Now, when it comes, when it gets colder, like in the, or sorry, the, the fall turnover, there are some species that just cruise all to different, deeper structures that you wouldn't usually find them at. Yes. Right? Um, there's our fish like muskie, for example. And October, November, they are known to wander, like everywhere. But when the turnover com- finishes its completion, then they have these their winter grounds, and they automatically end up there. So they'll wander for like close two months, yeah, around the lake because it's during turnover. But once it hits that temperature, voom, straight to where they're supposed to be for the winter. And that's instinctual. That's the that's a survival yeah. thing. You get the cold water loving fish like trouts uh, and salmon, 
and they're they're generally you find them fish deep, right? I mean yeah. that's always been it. If you want the trout, yeah, go you deep. want yeah, you gotta yeah. you know. I mean when we're trolling in the canoe, you know, you wait till it hits bottom, then give it a couple of reels up, and you're making yeah. sure you're trolling, you know, doing that. You're either catching a trout or you're catching real estate. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fine line. I catch more real you estate. Know? Yeah. Uh, so that yeah, they're the deeper, colder depths throughout the uh, fishing season in the summer, but during the turnover. The shallow waters are nice and cool, and they head there. They also head there because uh, some of the, the species are fall spawners, and the cold water temperatures draw them to the shallow areas, and they lay their eggs. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Now you know. And that's probably another reason why certain species go out of season in the fall. Yeah, because there's there's you're talking, there's some... What is it? Uh, lake trout or out of season yeah, September some of the 30th? Yep. Yeah. And so that's probably... For the spawning. It's the spawning season. Yeah. That's when the lake turnover happens and, and you get the water inversions, you get the water, the, it, they come up from the depths and they yep. go and spawn. And Yeah. If I'm going if I'm going in October for a canoe trip, there I usually don't bring my fishing gear unless I'm going to a bass lake. Yeah. Or a pike lake or something. Exactly. Like if I'm going to lakes that I know are trout... I don't even bother bringing the fishing gear because I, I know. I'm you, not, can't you, can't, you can't touch them. Yeah. Right? Um, as winter approaches, surface layers continue to chill. They reach temperatures that are colder than the uh, 4 degrees Celsius, 40 Fahrenheit. And, you know, the ice happens and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, yeah. You get the, <laughs> the fishies are going where they're supposed to be for the winter. Exactly. Then we bring out the ice huts and hope we can find them. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's an interesting when you start reading and learning the dynamics of it, and and I suppose this is what makes the difference between a good boater, a good fisherman. You know, if when you learn all the dynamics of of how water acts and reacts, and the different seasons, and how that makes a difference in where the fish go, where you find the fish, right? Mm-hmm. And I've never been a very good fisherman because I've never learned all of these little details when it comes to fishing. Oh, you know how to fish. You just don't know how to catch. Oh, there you go. That's what they say. It's (laughs) called fishing, not catching. (laughs) (laughs) So, and this happens year after year after. It's a continuous cycle. Yeah. This turnover. Yeah. You know? Um, And and what, what I, doing all the research here, what I was interested the most in finding out, besides the, you know, the, the spawning part of it, is the fact that it's time that at the bottom, there's like almost no oxygen left because of everything decomposing and everything. Yes. Right. And then it just sort of happens that everything then come turnover, everything mixes up, everything's all the oxygen is all through again. And then the process happens again over the winter. Yep. And then come spring, it reha- it does it again. Now, you came across something that was interesting about a die-off. Yes. And so what's interesting is that when it comes to these lake inversions, and uh, if you have a calm fall, you don't have a lot of wind, a lot of churn, and you have this, the the, the surface water, which is nutrient-rich, and it cools off and it drops to the bottom. So if you don't have a full activated turnover with wind and waves... This water will just drop down and all the nutrients will drop out at the bottom and the bacteria will chew it up. And so the the nutrients itself are using up oxygen. The bacteria that is chewing up the oxygen or chewing up the oxygen as well from the nutrients, you end up with very poor oxygenated water at the bottom. Because it hasn't all been circulated with the winds exactly. and the waves, right? So when that happens... Like if you ever, if you're ever on a lake and, and often you'll see this happen and it's suddenly there's a big die off and there's like, you know, thousands of fish floating on the surface and you think, oh, what, what, uh, what chemical plant just dumped a bunch of stuff in the river here? You know what I mean? But no, what it is, is the, the, the lake is, uh, it, it has destabilized and it, uh, the nutrient rich water went to the bottom and then it just. All the fish, when they normally, this type of season, they're used to moving amongst the layers. So now you have unstratified water. You have that four degree water pretty much top to bottom, but it didn't mix. The oxygen didn't mix through. And so in, in that event, that, that's when you get the die-offs. The, you have that dead deoxygenated water at the bottom. And, and that's where the fish are. And that's where, they, yep. that's where they're going to feed. And, and so they, they, the fish, obviously they're not 
they stop breathing. <laughs> yeah, they, they're not brainiacs. They just they just die off, right? Yeah, pretty interesting. So yeah, there's a whole science behind this, and uh, you know, it, it just it, it's pretty interesting. And I think as paddlers, we should know how you know what's happening in our water system. You yes. know, I mean, not just the environment and keeping it clean and all that, but but know what's going on with it itself. And like I say, the turnover is a big thing. It happens twice a year. Yeah. You know, whether we're paying attention or not, it's happening. Yes. And everything that happens during that, those couple months, spring and fall to that water, you know, can affect what we do, you know, when it comes to fishing and, and, and all that. And it's not a controlled method. It's not a controlled system. It's, it's really hard to predict. You don't know what's going to happen. Like the weather's, it's. I'd be interested to see what happens because this was a weird year. Yeah. This was a weird summer. It has And been. this spring or fall has been a bit longer, a bit warmer. Mind you, there's been winds like the <laughs> ding dong. So that water yeah, is going to. It's been so oh, windy. Those fish should just be out of their minds with yeah. oxygen this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this year. Anyway, that's water turnover. Uh, let's take a quick break here. We'll come back and we're going to go a bit farther from the fall. We're going to talk winter. Be right back. You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. If you like the show you are listening to right now, you can listen to it and many more just like it on Reno Viola Outdoors Radio. Fishing, hunting, boating, and the rest of the great outdoors 24-7, 365 on Reno Viola Outdoors Radio. Download the free Reno Viola's Outdoor Radio app or visit WRVORadio.com online to see the lineup and schedule. That's Reno Viola Outdoors Radio and enjoy the great outdoors. Welcome back. As I mentioned before we went to break there, we're going to talk winter camping. Um, partly because of the first annual Ontario Winter Camping Symposium, which is coming up. Saturday, November 25th at the University of Waterloo Theatre of the Arts. 9.30 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon. Uh, it's basically the same as the winter or the, uh, the canoe symposium we go to every year. Except this is dealing with the winter har- camping. The hard water season. The hard water season. Yes. Uh, tickets are like 10 bucks for anybody under 15, $15 for adults and $50 for a family. Yeah. And basically family of four, I believe it is. Yeah. A family of like 150 or something. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Family of four. Um, so yeah, if you've ever wanted to know what it's like to be camping in the wilderness in, in Ontario, uh, during the, uh, winter, you know, it doesn't even have to be just Ontario. Yeah, if you want to try out the back season, the hard water season, the winter season, Ontario, you know, northern U.S., all these, a lot of people... Wherever there's snow. Wherever there's snow, wherever there's hard water, exactly. If you want to learn more about it, or if you're an experienced camper and you want to try something new like hot tenting, cold tenting, uh, snow shelters, or even crown land camping, then come check out the Winter Camping, Ontario Winter Camping Symposium. Um... You can check out all the information at ontariowintercamping.ca. They've got, uh, what, six speakers. Yes, and it's a very exciting lineup. There's Yeah, uh, you know what? They're all well-known people, too. They came right out of the gate with, uh, like, as soon as they announced it, they had all, most of the, I think they had the entire list already set when they first announced yeah. Oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think they got all their ducks in a row before they even yeah. decided they were going to do it. Uh, the first uh, speaker that they got on the list, I'm just going to go through the list here, Jim Baird which we've had Jim Baird, the adventurer on our show. Uh, He's recently off um, the History Channel's Alone with his brother Ted. They won that. Yep. Right? That's very exciting. Yep. And he's going to discuss his solo winter crossing of the Angava Peninsula in northern Quebec. Yes. And I think there's another goofy fellow that wants to go there. (laughs) Uh, That's me. That's me. I think his name goes Derek or something (laughs) like that. Um, yeah, you, you, I know you definitely want to go up that way. So this will be of big interest to you. And the fact that he went with his dog, Buck, which was cool. Um, Kevin Callan. Kevin Callan's got a new winter camping book coming out. Yes. Kevin Callan, the happy camper. Actually, I think it came out yesterday. Yes. The 7th. The 7th of November. And I'm looking forward to getting my hands on, my grubby little hands on my own copy. I'm going to make him sign mine. 
Oh, yes. Yeah, I'll get him to I autograph it. I could buy it at it. the symposium and he'll sign it right there. Yeah. See? Yeah. See? There See? You go. Yeah. So now I have to wait to buy it. There you go. Uh, he's going to talk about his book and uh, as well as his winter travels because he does the winter camping. Yeah. David Lee, the passionate paddler. Uh, he's going to talk about cold tenting in Killarney Provincial Park and his ascent of Silver Peak in winter. That's hard enough to do in the summer. He, he, uh, that, that's quite the challenging climb. Silver Peak, I've done it. I did, mm-hmm. me and, uh, me and Mike Burns did that, uh, last summer. And, uh, it's quite the climb. I can't imagine trying to do that in the winter. Because you're, you're, uh, you're quite a ways out there. Mm-hmm. And it's an easy day trip, I guess, but... Do you really want to plan on just a day trip to the top of Silver Peak? You're going to have to camp. Yeah. You're going to have to base camp and do the the hiking challenge, the climbing challenge. What's good though is that because in the off season you can camp. It's it's I, I assume Clarny is like Algonquin. You can camp anywhere. Camp anywhere. Yeah. So you could. Uh, so just going as far as you can, camp yeah. and then do it the next day. Do the summit. Yeah. So, he I mean, he's, he, he may be doing, I mean, if if his winter trips are anything like I his summer trips. I was thinking of that. It's like, it doesn't matter. He doesn't, <laughs> doesn't need water. Matter. He doesn't need water. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, Martin Pine. He's an experienced winter shelter builder and crown land camper. Uh, so, again, I mean, when we go in Algonquin Park, we we can go, you can go wherever you want. Uh, but you still got to pay your fees and stuff like that. You just can't camp on a regular campsite. Uh, Crown Land, you just it's go free. wherever you want. It's absolutely free. Yeah. So if anybody so, needs to know or wants to learn about uh, Crown Land camping, and I'm I'm going to be listening to this guy because this is this is one of those things that uh, really opens up your horizon, especially for winter camping. Yeah. And summer camping, you, to uh, to find the uh, those nice little sites and investigate the little areas that you can go to on Crown Land where it's free camping. You just find a little lake somewhere and yeah, because it's starting to down. get it's starting to get expensive. It is. It is. It's. You know? uh, like interior Algonquin Park camping, like uh, it, the prices are getting. Well, of course, it costs a lot of money to run these provincial parks, right? Yes. It's, so it's understandable, and and I'm not going to argue against charging what they charge because it is expensive to yep. operate oh, these parks. Oh, fully fully agree on that. Fully but agree. I'm also looking forward to trying out some uh, some off the beaten trail Crown Land camping. And when you start getting into your own tent, your own stove, and that sort of stuff, that that's pricey. It so gets any up little there. bit of money you can save, yeah, is is going to work it out. Uh, next speakers are Dwayne and Marion Sontag, the camping family. Yes. They were actually when I was up uh, at Mule Lake on Halloween, they were there trying out a new okay. snow tracker tent. Yeah. And um, did you check out the snow tracker tent? I took a peek at it. Yeah, yeah, looks good. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, they do the, they're going to talk about Mule Lake camping and stuff like that. They go New Year's, Halloween, they go New Year's up there. Uh, they also do the family Family day Day weekend. Weekend. Yes. Um, every year for winter in the wilderness. So they're, they're going to talk about all of, all of that. And now you met, no, you didn't meet them, but you were there, uh, last family day. Yes. Doing your camping thing with your family for the first time. Yes, and yeah, I didn't know them at the time, yeah. but uh, yeah, the, I, I saw them all up there and I, I knew of some of them, but I just didn't know them. There's so many people to know. Yeah. I've, I've kept a list. <laughs> I started, I, you have to, you just have to start the, keeping the, a list. The, the group of outdoors people that we're getting to know through the radio and through, uh, we, the, the uh, we open up a lot just meeting a lot of people at the 150 event this summer. Mm-hmm. Met a lot of people, and, that, yeah. and that's where the family grew. That's where you you learned about a lot more people interested in the same things that you're interested in. Well, so I was, was very I was exciting. Joking with them um, uh, at Mew Lake there, and said, "Oh yeah, I, I met so many people." And I'm because af- afterwards, like after the kids were done their stuff, like I say, we went over to somebody's site and we all stood around the fire and yeah. having a beverage that sort of thing. I met so many people and said, "Yeah, in the dark." Like I'm going to remember them on the street. <laughs> I met all these people in the dark. Hang on. Oh yeah. Close my eyes. I know who you are. Let me, just by let me hear your, your voice. voice more. Yeah. Close my eyes and hear your voice. Hey, you're such and such now. Um, and the last speaker, Tierney Angus. She's a journalism student, canoe enthusiast, and all-season backcountry camper. She's a Friends of Tomogamy board member, and I do believe. Uh, Matt Olson paddle in was saying she's a VP now. Oh yeah. 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 She's getting right. She's right into it. She's the only one on this list that I don't know. 
Yeah, I or know I of. have I know of her. I, I I've not met her though. Um, she's on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook yeah. and all that sort of stuff, right? Uh, she'll be sharing how she set out to learn how to live as comfortably as possible in the hard water season by making her own equipment with a whole lot of research and a very small budget. <laughs> and again, yeah. That's exciting. <laughs> when it starts coming to winter camping stuff, yes. it, can get, it can get very pricey, yeah. that's for sure. And as we've talked offline, like we're, we've been discussing how to make our own canvas, winter canvas tents and stuff mm-hmm. like that, getting the, getting the right uh, canvas lightness, but thickness and waterproofness and fireproofness. And so it's uh, it's it's a lot of education. Got to get myself edumacated so I can edumacated. build my own tent. Or mm-hmm. you spend the two grand on a decent tent. Well, yeah. The problem we have is... When you're looking at these tents online, um, yeah, you can get a decent one for eleven hundred bucks, but then you got to pay the shipping and everything. A lot of yeah. it comes from the states and stuff like that. Or, you get exchange, you get shipping. Yeah. It, it all. Well, yeah, adds and up anywhere and, where it comes from the states, you got that sh- that exchange rate. Yep. And that's that's gonna just bugger you. Yeah, it's. I'm really seriously gonna consider. I'm gonna I'm gonna investigate some decent canvases and see what it's going to take to build my own. I'm going to investigate a decent hotel. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so if you're interested in the Ontario Winter Camping Symposium, uh, go to ontariowintercamping.ca for more information, plus all this information we already gave you. Uh, Derek and I will be there for sure, so even if you want to come and meet us, uh, we'll be there to to chat uh, with everybody as well. Uh, We're not speaking, but um, hey... We, it's, we enjoy doing this as well, so we're going to make sure we're, we're there. Uh, as discussed, Kevin Callan will be talking about his new The Complete Guide to Winter Camping by Kevin Callan. It's, uh, so he's just completed this. It's, uh, it's only been released just yesterday, as, yeah. of, as you guys are listening to this episode. Uh, only book on the market that will educate readers on both hot tenting and cold tenting. I've cold tented before, mm-hmm. and I can't say I would do it again. I would. Really? I would. Like, if you have the right You gear... like a blue tuchus? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? The first time I took my wife winter camping, we went to uh, went to Algonquin Park, and we camped, uh, we went on the uh, Centennial Ridges Trail, and so we camped a couple hundred meters just off the trail, and we... <laughs> It got so cold that night. Like the next day we had to go to the visitor center because we had to ask them. It's like, hey, how cold was it here last night? It was minus 33 and we were cold tenting. We were just in a uh, three plus season North Face tent. Mm-hmm. And so there's no, there's no mesh or anything like that. Yeah. Unless you zip the doors open, right? So it was a decent three plus season tent. And it, we, uh, we got in there, we hiked up the trail. It was... Hard work, so you're sweating, but then the temperature dropped that night. Like, we went in there, and we found a decent uh, place in the trees. We uh, snowshoed in and, and stamped it all down, set up the tent, and we had to dig with a shovel, and we, we passed through some shrubs and finally found a, a log, and we went a little bit further, and by the time we were done, got to down to the base to light a fire. Like, you, our heads barely peaked above the snow layer. There was so much snow oh, yeah. that year. So it was interesting that we were, we've, we had this trench dug this, and it was a ramp going down to the fire pit and it was, <laughs> it was neat. If you left your wine, we had some wine and you leave it too long away from the fire, the wine would start to freeze. <laughs> and we experimented with the, uh, with the, the hot cup of water, throwing it in the air and it instantly turns into a cloud. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was fun. And the, uh, I have, uh. We each have a minus 33 bag. So we had a decent thick thermorust and our minus 33 bags. And we didn't really notice the cold until about 5 or 5.30 in the morning. It really started to sink through the sleeping bags, right? Right. And uh, so at about that time, we decided, okay, well, I guess it's time to get up and start moving around and start warming up again. Because it was, we were, uh, we we hit the limit of our sleeping bags. So we like, it was minus 33 bag, it was minus 33 out. And, uh, those bags were, they were pushed to their limits. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, if we had maybe, uh, if we were sleeping on a cot or if we had a thicker thermorest, I think it would have been a lot better, but it's all lessons learned. Right. But yeah, it was, uh, that was our, or if you knew it was only going to be minus 20. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> you'd be golden. We we uh, the weather predicted when we went in, it was predicting minus twenty six or minus twenty five. So, but it, you know, when you check the weather, you're looking for the nearest town. So we used Whitney. Yeah. And Whitney was supposed to be like you know minus twenty six. So where we were in the park, and Whitney actually got down to minus thirty, minus thirty three as well. The whole area had to. It was well, get a little wind or something even yeah. and. That changes everything too, yeah, right? Yeah, and exactly. So it's, it's like predicting weather, predicting temperature is all a bunch of little witchcraft, right? It, yeah. It, it's all guesswork. It's all a bunch of hokum. Yeah. So, but that was a, my, mine and my wife's first cold tenting trip. So it was really exciting to be able to go and do that. And it was the, what was exciting is all the snow, the cold, all the different challenges that we came across. Like we learned... I knew this from before, so I just, I had like a bunch of one gallon jugs of water. I just buried them in snowbanks and they never froze. So, but as soon as you put them in a cup, you it had to keep to the cup moving. Because we, uh, I poured water in the cup, went to brush my teeth and I had to poke with the toothbrush through the layer of ice so I could rinse. It froze that quick. Well, you can learn all about that and more. In Kevin Callan's new book. <laughs> yes, and that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited about seeing, because I know a little bit about winter camping. I don't know it all, not by even a long shot. So I'm I'm excited to get the book and, and see exactly where his research took him and see what more I can learn myself. Well, it says, and I quote, <laughs> <laughs> Complete Guide to Winter Camping covers nearly every aspect of snow and ice fun and safety. Advice on setting up shelter to choosing a sleep system and warm clothing gives readers the knowledge to outfit themselves properly to enjoy winter. And with chapters on how to track animals, check ice thickness, operate a snowmobile, and catch a fish while ice fishing, the happy camper ensures you'll have a good time once you're all bundled up. Well, I know how to check the thickness of ice. I just get somebody to go walk on it. If they don't go in, it's good. They go in, I'm not going on it. It's that simple. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've I haven't been camp ice ice uh sorry, winter camping in a few years now. Um but I will tell you right now, there are no bugs. There's no bugs. <laughs> That's the exciting part for me. There are probably three things and it's it it may seem silly, but three things that I hate about winter camping. One, dark in a dark tent. Yes. Like a lot of pe- the people I know that go winter camping have the the blue or the the green the green bell, bell tents. military tents. Marcus has the no, five man. I have yeah. the ten man. It doesn't matter. No if it's, light in it. No. It, it doesn't matter if it's gloomy. noon or midnight. It yeah. looks like it's midnight. Yeah. Um, not having a well stamped down levelish ground. Yeah. It doesn't bother me so much. You expect that bugs it me. to be a little rough, but yeah. Oh yeah, but but when you you know you're sitting on your cot and all of a sudden. Whoosh, Right down to the... Yeah, exactly. You know, you're just like... Oh. You're just waiting to drop your plate yeah. of food or yeah. whatever, right? Yeah. Um, and what was... It? Oh, too many people. And always everybody invite- wants... Oh, let's just... Everybody go on. There's plenty of... It's a five-man <laughs> tent. Come on, we get five people in here. We'll probably squish into six person. <laughs> that just annoys the crap yeah. right out of me. Exactly. Those Especially- three things really turn me off winter camping. The hardest part with... Too many people in the tent is you still need room for the wood stove. Yeah. So it turns a five-man tent into a three-man tent. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And, and that's Definitely. where if, if you could if you could not use the stove, you could easily fit five men. We call in that it. summer camping. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's the big thing is the, uh, but is, I, is the I, stove. I sort of agree with you on your points, of, but it's... Know, it's all challenges that you overcome, but in the end, I, I love getting out there. I love being out there in the hard water season. Oh, when, when you get up in the morning, you're all ready to go. You step outside and, okay, where are we going? You throw the snowshoes on. Yeah. And chomping across a lake or something like that. Exactly. And, you know, you're going out for a day trip, which, you know. Um, Building igloos or. I think the last time we went out, uh, yeah, we came across a little shelter and we built a little fire. We brought lunch, so we got a couple of sticks and made hot dogs over yeah. a fire. And I think I made a comment about Marcus. Oh, there's Marcus walking with his wiener out. He's, <laughs> he, he was he was putting a hot dog on a stick, right? This is a family show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but no, you know what? It's a lot of fun getting out for the day, especially if you get the nice sunshiny day. Oh, yeah. And you're just going on a long hike and then you get back, you know, and even building a fire somewhere along the way to have a, you know, a, a day lunch. 
that sort of thing. Just warm up a little bit and then get back to camp and you do your, get the stove going again and, you know, heating up the inside of the tent and making your Isn't dinner. Great? And you come back and you have an, you can warm up that tent. It's just yeah. like you're snuggled in like at home. And yeah, I, I would, if, if I was just cold tenting constantly, I don't think I would do winter camping at all. It would be tough. Yeah. I, I still would enjoy it. I probably wouldn't do it as long. It would be a week. That, cold tenting would be a, a weekend camping trip. Yeah. But I cold would tenting to... to me is like camping nonstop in rain. Yeah. It kind of just puts, no pun intended, a damper on everything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like if you're if you know you're going camping for a week and it's raining every single day, that's to me like like cold camping. Yeah. Because you're never getting warm. You're never getting totally dry. It is you tough. Know, and you're just like, oh, it just wears on you. Uh, but the, the hot tent thing, yeah, I could, I, I like that. Because you kick your feet up. You're in a warm tent. You can, yeah. you know, when you go to bed, you can you can really stoke the flames and you can get that tent nice and boiling hot, right? Yeah. And I mean, you're, you're looking at tents now. And as I say, you, you, 11, 1200 bucks, you can get yourself a really nice yes. tent and another couple hundred bucks for the stove. Yeah. And really, I mean, that's it starts. It starts to add up, but it's it is if you are going to get the the time and money out of it, like it, it is well worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, whether you're going interior, I mean, you go interior, they know you got to have your your sled. Yeah, you got to buy a sled. You know, you put and... the sled on. Well, I've 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 made a couple, right? Mm-hmm. When I got the the straps and they yeah, got you all that sort of stuff. Just buy the cheap seven dollar. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've I've modified a couple sleds now and so I've got uh I've got a fleet of them at home and I'm looking at buying another one this winter. <laughs> I've got actually took a uh old military World War II uh web belt and hooked it up to that oh, yeah. and that yeah, just latches right on and off I go. Perfect. You know, I that was perfect. Uh but yeah, I mean it can get really pricey and like I say with car camping and stuff like that, you just pull right up you set your tent up yeah mew lake i guess from what i understand now because you know it used to be like that they actually plow the sites yes that, yeah when we were there last winter for family day weekend uh, everything was all plowed out we had a nice flat surface to set the tent up on and it was great yeah but that's not really good yeah that's not what you'd expect no you don't expect that yeah which is pretty cool yeah and now when you went to the the winter camping the family day yeah. Tons of people there from what I understand. There was a lot. It was, well, all, most of the sites were sold out. We were way in the fringes of the, uh, what sites were left available. And we went for a drive around and because you had to drive in and you do some of the loops and we just kind of wandered through to see what was full and what was, it was full. The, yeah. the Mew Lake campground was full. It's amazing. I mean, I think somebody was telling me the yurts that are there are already booked. For family yeah, day. and that's actually discouraging because I tried to book yurts and and people block them off. Like when winter hits at, at the five month mark, people are booking all those yurts. Yeah. I I could not get a single yurt all winter long. Yeah, I've been. I, I'm still looking. I'm, it's amazing how many people go up for Christmas and New Year's. Yep, it's very popular. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the winter camping is becoming more popular. Yeah, all the time, right? I like like I'm really surprised. And, uh, well, like I say, I mean, the fact that they're now having winter camping symposiums. Yeah. Well, it's, and I, th- I think it's another aspect of where social media is bringing more and more attention to certain aspects of getting outdoors and mm-hmm. doing certain things. Right. Like we, we hit on social media often on this show and, uh, we talk about how it is introducing more and more people to more aspects of just getting out there and doing things and, and challenging yourself. So it's, it is interesting how there's more and more awareness of what is available in the backcountry in the winter and the summer. And so you see that the, the winter populations are also increasing as well as the summer populations. Yeah. And with winter camping, the more people that are getting into it, then it's easier to find people to say, Hey, well, why don't you come up with us? Try it out. Yeah. And if you do like it, then you can and what's put great, all that money out and get your own gear and exactly so you start cheap you start with uh, no experience you get out there with people who have the experience and so it's it's sort of risk free you're just getting out there being introduced and and then you learn if you love it then you start spending the money right yeah well and that's exactly it so you can build up your your group of people you go with because yep. it, it's seeming that there's not a, a lack of people to go with anymore oh no, yeah not anymore so Check out Kevin Callan's Complete Guide to Winter Camping. Check out the Ontario Winter Camping Symposium. 
We'll be right back after this message and uh, I think that'll be pretty much end of our day. Yes. Alrighty, back in a moment. You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Well, Derek, uh, I think that's it for our show this week. Closing out another episode. What another episode is this? 91. 91, eh? 91. So, uh, like we talked about, uh, the turnover of the water is happening, and we are going to be going to the Winter Camping Symposium. Hope to see people there. Tickets are being sold out pretty quickly, so you better get yours. And go online and get the Complete Guide to Winter Camping by Kevin Callan. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Uh, check us out on paddlingadventuresradio.com and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, iTunes, and Google Play. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time.